Hello, and welcome to the Comedic Collective Podcast. This podcast is a dialogue between Adam Stone, Byron Hazley, and Steve Kerwin, often joined by informative guests through all walks of life. It's very informal, but very informative, and we're never quite sure where the conversation will lead us as we're talking about racial and socioeconomic inequality in our nation. Due to our national footprint, we're connecting through Zoom, so keep that in mind when you hear the audio. If you'd like to submit a question or topic, please do so by emailing us at info at thecommittedcollective.org on our Facebook page or connecting with us on Instagram at the underscore committed collective. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Committed Collective podcast. This is our last episode for the Women's Takeover. Um, it's me, Emily Stone, tonight, and Destiny Henderson, board members on the Committed Collective, um, with our guest, Joelle Rankins-Goodwin, and we're excited to close out the month. Um, a couple fun women's facts for today. In 1917, Loretta Walsh became the first woman to enlist as a woman in the military. A 1948 law made women a permanent part of the military services. In 1976, the first group of women were admitted into a U.S. military academy. And then fast forward to the 2000s. In 2016, Captain Christine Greist became the first female Army infantry officer in the nation's history. A year earlier, Greist and Lieutenant Shea Haver were also the first women to graduate from the Army's Farmed Ranger School. So pretty cool. Um, And I'll have Destiny kind of take over and introduce our guest. Yes, uh, we have an amazing guest with us tonight, closing out Women's History Month. Um, just the all-around amazing woman that I um, recently was blessed to have come into my life, Miss Joelle Goodwin. Hello, how are you? Thank you so much for being with us. Hi, Destiny. Hi, Emily. Thank you both for inviting me. We're so excited to have you here. So um, I have been, you know, getting to know you the last few months. Just honored. Um, Joelle is Mrs. Oregon. She's the current reigning Miss Black Oregon International Ambassador. So she is my sister queen. And we've just been in the trenches together getting ready for our pageant, which is coming up in eek, less than 90 days. Um, so but yeah, tell us a little bit about yourself, Joelle. Oh, um, let's see, just a little bit about myself. Well, um, I uh, quickly, uh, born in born in Germany. Um, my, my mom is uh, was originally from um, Portland. Uh, my dad was in the military. That's why I was, uh, was born in Germany. And um, they decided uh, that Portland was the place to raise a family. Um, so I grew up in Portland, attended Lincoln High School, um, and then I uh, came to the University of Oregon um, and do, along the way, I, I decided I, I wanted to follow in my dad's footsteps. So um, I joined the University of Oregon's Army ROTC uh, military science program, uh, spent 24 years in the Army. Um, and before I finished that up, um, I came back to the U of O. I taught uh, Army ROTC at the University of Oregon for my last few years, and then I retired. And um, here, living here in Eugene, um, and am um, uh, working uh, at the university. Continued working at the university in the University of Oregon's Office of Admissions. So that's a nice process. Yeah. How long were you in Germany before you moved back to the United States? Well, I was uh, the first time. Um, uh, my, my dad, uh, left Germany. Um, they left when I was 
two years old, I do believe. Um, so I was born there. They left when I was about two. Uh, and then as an adult, uh, as a second, young second lieutenant in the Army, uh, that was my first duty station. Uh, I was okay. there for three years. And then I know you mentioned, um, you know, prior to this, you have a massage therapy kind of background. Like, how did that play into the mix of the academics and the military life? Like, where did that fit in somewhere? <laughs> yeah, that's funny. I, I saw that in your notes and I was I, I guess that's a really good question. Where did that come from? <laughs> so just for the, for the sake of I, I started getting massage um, myself, uh, you know, years and years ago. And. I think that it's a, a wonderful um, modality to, you know, helping people feel better um, and not just about the relaxation of it, but, you know, it's therapeutic and things like that. And so I was stationed in um, uh, Florida, in Melbourne, Florida, at, uh, um, I was stationed in, in, in Florida and there was a massage therapy school there. And I, you know, it's really funny. I look back and I go, why did I decide to do that? But I decided to go to massage <laughs> therapy while I was in the military. Um, I had the time at that point and the kind of job that I had. And uh, like I said, I wanted to um, help people, make people feel better. And so it, this was going to be my retirement job. And... Mm. So I was setting myself up for, for, for retirement and from the army. And, um, so I went to school, I graduated school. Uh, this might be going too deep for you into, (laughs) but I was leaving Florida to go to Fort Lewis, Washington. And before I even got to Fort Lewis, um, I, what was I doing? Um, I got orders to deploy to Honduras. Oh, Honduras. Mm. Threw me off. I, I did not get to take uh, my national board exams for massage therapy. And so I went to Honduras. I did that. And then life kind of happened. That was 20 some years ago. And so I can give you a great massage. I just can't <laughs> business because I'm not board certified. <laughs> well, I'm sure your husband's happy that you probably still keep your skills of massage. <laughs> so he can just, I guess, you know, use the skills for something. It's like right. his education. So I right, well. right. So very cool. Interesting mix to go and in, mix into military life. So, um, so you kind of touched a little bit about how you got into the military. So your dad was a military um, man. So that's kind of why you decided to go into into that. So um, can you tell us just a bit, a little bit about your experience overall in the military? It sounds like you've kind of lived a lot of different places. Um, it sounds like you were once a time second lieutenant. What was your rankings? You know, what was your job? Yeah. So um, a lot of things I went in, at, I, I, as a second lieutenant um, coming out of the U.S. Army ROTC program, I was commissioned into um, the field artillery. At the time, the field artillery was very uh, very much closed to um, c- certain areas of field artillery uh, were closed to women. 
Uh, and so I went into um, Lance Missiles, which no longer uh, no longer exist. Um, I did that. So I started off at Fort Sill, Oklahoma. That's the home of the field artillery. And then went on uh, to Germany. Um, uh, and then I knew that as at that point in time in the 1980s, as a woman in the artillery, um, in the class that I, the, the, the class, the field artillery class that I graduated with out of, of, of Fort Sill, we had the largest class of women that they'd ever had at one time. There was nine, maybe 12 of us, something like that. Um, so anyway, um, when I was getting ready to leave, I'd been in Germany for about three years and I knew that there was really nowhere for me to go as far as, you know, promotion um, oh. being in the artillery. Uh, there just, there just wasn't. And so, and a lot of uh, other women were feeling the same way. And so I did what they call a branch transfer. And so before I left Germany, I branch transferred to military intelligence, uh, which was wide open to, to women. Uh, so I branch transferred, uh, I went to the home of the military intelligence corps at Fort Huachuca, Arizona, um, spent time there, um, uh, just kind of, kind of, I've said all over the place, all over the United States, as far as overseas, Germany, Honduras, um, uh, Bosnia, uh, were some of the places that I, that I went to, um, overseas. Wow. So as far as, um, the like promotion part for the artillery services, so if you were male, there would have been opportunities for promotion? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there, there's just, I mean, so Lance missiles, missiles in general were some of the was only areas that, um, uh, that, that women were in at that point in time. Um, if I was in, uh, you know, with cannons, um, as opposed to, um, as opposed to, to missiles, um, that wasn't women, women weren't, weren't allowed. Um, and so, um, uh, but I, and I get, it's really funny if you ask me right now, I'm not sure. I'm assuming if we've got women in the infantry, um, that, that women are in, in different areas and opened up more in the areas in the artillery mm-hmm. right now. Right. That's crazy. Yeah, I know. It's crazy. You think that it- <laughs> There was once upon well, a time we couldn't do those things because we were women, you know. Well, the argument and, and the arguments are are really. I can't. I can't be at the time. I can't be in the infantry yet, and still, I could be in. I, I tried. Uh, I had a friend who was a military police officer. Mm-hmm. He was right there in the thick of things. Um, you know, and, 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 you know, if there's whatever's going on, if there's shooting going on, she was still there. Um, and so it didn't, a lot of it didn't make sense. It makes more sense now that they've opened up more, um, occupational specialties, uh, to women. So, um, just kind of a little bit more about your experience as a whole in the military. Um, you know, I don't know, I don't think I've ever met any woman that 
was in the army, except for you. I think you're my first, honestly. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, so, yeah, can you just kind of tell us a little bit more about like your experience as a whole? Because I feel like we sometimes hear about women in the military, you know, different branches, you know, you have the Air Force, the Marines, you know, Army. um, And, you know, you hear kind of the good and the bad. Um, And then, so I'm kind of curious if you can tell us a little bit more about your personal experience, just dealing with like the male aspect of it, um, you know, especially as a black woman, as a woman of color being in the military, how was that for you? Yeah, um, it's really funny because I am learning just now at my age after already being retired for about 10 years um, of how naive I probably was. Mm. Um, It came to promotions when it came to my evaluation reports and how um, I, I retired after 24 years as a major. I should have been at least a lieutenant colonel. Um, and I think I was a pretty damn good army officer um, and, and, and have been told. But um, over those years, uh, having all white male commanders who were giving me my evaluations, um, and I think back on it and um, I taught, I have a group, a really awesome group of friends um, who were, uh, we were all stationed in Germany at the same time as young lieutenants. And we, 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 we keep in touch. I was the only female who was actually in the army. Um, but it was the rest were all, were all guys that, but I'm friends with all of them and their wives and stuff like that. And they talk now about how we were treated um, at that point in time and in Germany, and I, they're like, yeah, we got treated poorly, and a lot of us uh, didn't get, you know, should have been promoted sooner, and and just all these other kinds of things. And I was like, wow, how did I miss that? Mm-hmm. Um, so there's that aspect of it. Dealing with with, with I, I'm a pretty, you know, I was a really shy kid. Uh, and at some point in time that flipped a little bit and I became a little bit more outspoken um, and, and dealing with the guys, it probably comes from my dad, um, dealing with the guys in the army and not, not taking any mess from them. Um, right. I can, I can, you know, I can remember the first time I was sexually harassed by um, this, uh, major, I'm a young, no, I wasn't even, I wasn't even in yet. I was a cadet, still a cadet. And I did some training in, at, uh, uh, in, in California. And, um, this guy, I like, he probably wasn't all that old, but he seems super old to me. Right. <laughs> um, made some just really nasty sexual remark to me. And, um, uh, yeah, I, I wasn't, I wasn't having it. And that happened more than, you know, more than once in, in my time. And I, I watched as a lot of women, uh, quite a few women, I'm going to say a lot, um, didn't know how to stand up for themselves. Mm. Um, and, and I think that's one of the things that helped me get through, um, was, was standing up my, for myself and not, and not taking, uh, any, any mess off of, off of the men that, um, who tried. Do you feel like 
I just know, you know, with the rankings in the military and depending which level you're at, there's like, you know, talking back to your commander versus sticking up for yourself, kind of how obviously any type of that sexual misconduct is not okay. But how did you feel like you knew how to address that? And do you feel like other women just didn't know what to do because this is a major and they're a cadet kind of thing? Yeah, I don't know. I, I really, I don't know. I mean, I never... I never got in trouble for it. Well, but then again, I, like I said, I didn't get promoted as high as I, as high or as quick mm. should have. Um, so, you know, that could be, could be part of it, but I, I always, I always, you know, stood up for myself. Um, uh, and, and I tried to help young women, um, especially young soldiers, uh, in my unit, um, to do the same. Right. Really awesome. Yeah. Um, and then kind of circling back just on like the rankings and the promotion. So you said that you entered as a second lieutenant. So I know if you have a bachelor's degree, you automatically are an officer when you enter. So since you went through like the ROTC stuff or can you, okay, you shook your head wrong. <laughs> can you explain like, how that it's, process works? And like, it's, it's not, it's not, it's not automatic. You have to go okay. through either either ROTC or you go to, talking about the Army, you go to uh, the Military Academy at West Point, um, okay. vehicles to become commissioned um, officers. Uh, you okay. can go in and list, enlisted, um, and then you can, there's a program um, that you can go into um, and you can become commissioned as, as an officer. So, um, so yes, you start off, so generally speaking, unless you're a doctor, um, there are doctors programs. You can, if you're a doctor, you, I do believe you can come in as a captain. Um, okay. so I, I, so you, generally speaking, you come in as a second Lieutenant, uh, then first Lieutenant, then captain. So you said you retired as a major, correct? Mm -hmm. so you were, you know, that's a, I, knowing what I know, the little bit I know, that's really, <laughs> yeah. really, yeah, that's, yeah, that's, that's amazing. Great officer. Yeah. Yeah. So um, just with your retirement and, you know, kind of working your way up in the military, I also know that you're a mom. Um, I know your son has grown now. So when did you uh, get married and, you know, decide to have a children and how did that work out, you know, while you were doing your military work and then also, you know, your work um, as, you know, working at the University of Oregon? Sure, sure. So I did not get married until I was, hold on, I got married at about 40. Hmm. Um, I had my son at, that can't be right, at 30 something. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> math is not my strong suit. Anyway, um, so I was a single mom um, and uh, for many, for many years. And, you know, it's really funny how people go, oh, God, how are you in the military? And how'd you do the single mom thing? And at the time, I never really thought about it. I'm I'm true to Nike. Just do it. I mean, <laughs> you know, I I just in the army. If you are a single parent, if you are what we call duly enrolled, that means um, or dual. Uh, oh, I can't remember the term for it. If both parents are uh, in the army and the military you have to have what they call a family care plan. That is, if tomorrow, if you get deployed, if you get hit by a truck, if anything happens to you, what are your plans for that child? 
And so when I deployed to Bosnia, my son was six months, seven. Wow. Or six or seven months old. Um, uh, And thank you. I had to stop breastfeeding him because I had to get a... um, all the shots to, to get deployed. I had to get a ga- gamma gobulin shot or something. <laughs> and, um, and so I had to, I had to start weaning him from, from breastfeeding and that was fine. Cause he was starting to bite me anyway. So, <laughs> so, um, uh, uh, so seven, yeah, he was about seven months old when I deployed to Bosnia. And so the best laid plans, I had a daycare provider who he'd been going to, um, and when I was getting ready to leave, um, she was going to be gone. So he couldn't go to her. You have your first, wow. your first level plan and then your second level plan, your temporary plan and your permanent plan. Well, my temporary plan was for him to go to her. And then my permanent plan was for him to go to my dad. I'm in Arizona. My dad and his wife are in, living in Lincoln City, Oregon. Mm-hmm. And so, um, I had good friends who were willing to take him temporarily then my dad flew down um I don't I can't remember how old he was at that point he was retired so he must have been 60 something and all of a sudden taking on a seven month oh goodness yeah <laughs> he was a rock star oh my gosh my uh, um and so so my point was that if you are unable to make that plan you have a certain amount of time to put that plan into play into place and have it on file and it's notarized and everything. And if you can't get that plan, you get kicked out of the army. So, wow. Really? Yeah. 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 Um, they have, that you're going to be, you're going to be available, that you're going to be, be there. So, um, uh, so that happened to me twice. Um, when I went to, um, I went to Bosnia when he was seven months old, and then I was deployed to Honduras when he was five, six years old, getting ready to start kindergarten. Oh my goodness. Um, time um, he went with my mom and uh, her husband. Uh, so both my parents are gone now. But needless to say, my, um, my son had a really, really uh, close relationship with, with all of his grandparents. So both times you had to deploy, um, how long were you gone for each time? Like you had to deploy and leave your son. Actually not horrible. Um, I was in, I was in, in Bosnia for three months. I was in Honduras for six months. Um, Oh, wow. That's a long time to leave like your seven month year old baby. But when I look at people who are gone from the kids for a year, um, sometimes longer. Um, I, I think uh, I, I consider myself pretty pretty lucky. It wasn't wasn't that bad. Uh, I'll never forget when I was returning from um, I was returning from Bosnia and um, getting. I got off the airplane, and so Ian's still not even a year old. And my dad comes and says, "All right, now don't be upset. He might not recognize you. Don't go all crazy on him when he sees you." <laughs> Oh, that's so cute. So yeah, like 
you really just kind of did it all as a single mom. Like that is, you know, we've, we've talked um, on some of our, our past episodes this month about, you know, that balance, you know, women have to do as single parents. And um, yeah, I can't imagine having to have a kid like this plan in place. And then you got to go like out of the country yeah. Yeah. from your child. That's really ultimate. So is it yeah. pretty com- like at, when you were still in the military, was it pretty common for that to happen a lot? Did you have, were there a lot of single moms or were you kind of an anomaly in your unit? Um, yeah, I mean, no, there were not a lot. I wouldn't say there were a lot of, of single moms. Um, I'm just trying to think. Um, but you know, it's the kind of unit that I was in. There are other units where you might have a lot more women uh, where it might be more common um, but also, like I said, um, I have some good friends uh, who are still in the, in the, in the army. Um, they're a little bit younger than I am. Um, they've got three daughters and, um, they're both in the military. And for the longest time, they were two ships passing in the night, getting deployed here, getting deployed there and, um, and having to, um, uh, you know, find care, make sure they have care uh, for their kids. And they always had a nanny um, to, to help them out. Amazing. And is there, I just feel like that would take such an emotional toll. Like I can't imagine leaving like a seven month old is there, I would say, you know, mental health resources or just resources in general, like while you're deployed, when you get back, um, so many, so many resources. Yeah. There's so many resources available. The question is whether people will access those resources, whether they'll, 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 they'll actually use them. I, I don't, I, I don't, it, I mean, it just, I don't want to say it didn't bother me. Obviously it bothered me. There were, mm-hmm. there were nights on, in, while I was in, in, uh, uh, in Bosnia that I can remember having one too many beers and calling my dad and crying. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, you know, and, 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 you know, how, so, you know, wondering how my son was doing. I, I missed his first, um, first haircut. Um, oh. my, uh, my, my stepmom was really super good about, um, doing videotape, um, of, of my son and sending that to yeah. him it was gone and, and just keeping me really, really updated. So I don't know. I think that um, I feel like um, my son is very well adapted. Um, he and I are, are like best friends um, growing up. You know, whatever was getting ready to happen. We, you know, we moved quite a few times, and uh, because of the army, and we, he, I. I treated him like treated him like a, a little adult, and I said, "Okay, this is what we're going to do. We're getting ready to move." And I talked to him about step by step and what was going to happen and things like that. And I, I feel like he he has over the years he's adapted uh, pretty well. That's amazing. That's awesome. Well, and uh, all of your massage therapy in the army, just kicking ass and like taking <laughs> names and just going everywhere and like breastfeeding and being a mom. You also have been doing pageantry for mm-hmm. a few, like a long time. I know you a had told time. me like you've been doing pageantry since you were, you know, like younger. So uh, can you tell us kind of a little bit about that and like how you got into pageantry and, you know, how that's kind of incorporated into your military mom, <laughs> like <laughs> massage therapy, everything? Sure. So, um, you know, growing up, uh, 
like many little girls, uh, I watched Miss America on TV and I always wanted to do that. I always wanted to, you know, to, to, to be in a pageant. And um, there were a few things that my, my father uh, did not want me to do in life. He didn't want me to be in pageants. He didn't want me to be a teacher. And he didn't want me to, well, what was the third thing? Oh, be a cheerleader. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, um, I kind of, I, I, if you consider teaching ROTC at, at the university, um, that was probably okay with him. I did that, but I was a cheerleader um, and I got into pageants. It's his fault. <laughs> I don't, nothing about, let me, let me uh, say, going back to the teachers, he has nothing, I, all the respect in the world for teachers. It was just that they didn't make any money. They don't pay teachers enough. Um, I, um, back in the fourth and fifth grade, it was my dad's fault that I got into pageants. Uh, <laughs> to do it. Um, the, this woman that he knew, he worked for the Urban League of Portland for many, many years. And this woman that he knew through the Urban League was starting her own pageant. It was the Junior Miss Black Oregon pageant. And oh, okay. he was trying to help her get started. And so what better way than to, to, get, to get your own daughter involved in it? <laughs> That was my first one. Uh, that was in the fifth and sixth grade. Um, and then I, um, uh, then it was on to high school. I entered Miss Oregon USA. I entered um, Miss Portland, who of course goes on to, um, to, to Miss Oregon and then to, to Miss America. Um, I learned something. It probably took me a few years after having done those pageants to realize um, that as a big boned black woman, um, I wasn't going to get very far um, in, in, in either one of those systems. Um, they, it was, you know, I mean, just the truth be told, all the winners, especially in the 1980s, were all, uh, you know, white, super yeah. and et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, it was an experience and I did it. Um, and then I, um, I found a, I found a pageant that was a little bit more like me. Um, it was, I was stationed in Germany and it was the, um, Ms. Nuremberg pageant. And this was for military women and their spouses stationed or living in the Nuremberg, Germany area. Um, and I actually took the crown for that one. So that was the first time that I won. So that was cool. Very exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, um, and I just had the book. I, 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 I enjoy pageants. Um, I was, I was living in, uh, I said, well, I, I'm too old to do any of these pageants now. The next thing I have to do is, is do a Mrs. Pageant. Um, this is before, I mean, the, the Ms. Um, pageants are, are relatively kind of new, you know? And so, um, uh, I wasn't married yet, so I was going to have to get married in order to do a pet. <laughs> <laughs> and I did. I ran in, while I was in Alabama uh, for Mrs. Alabama, United States. My heart wasn't in it. I'm not from Alabama. Um, right. And um, uh, and so then we came home to Oregon. Um, I ran for Mrs. Oregon America three times, third times a charm. Um, and, uh, 
the third time I did it, I promised my husband, I, after the second time I told my husband, I promise I'm not doing any more pageants. But <laughs> entry fee, because I was the first runner up the previous year, my entry fee was free. So I was like, well, I have to do it. <laughs> <laughs> and so I did and I won. I thought I was done. Um, after that, it was an awesome experience. Um, boy, I went went on to compete at Mrs. America in Tucson, Arizona that year. And um, then a few, quite a few years later, I, 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 I um, also uh, was the co-director for Miss Lane, Miss Lane County Pageant, uh, which goes on to Miss Oregon, which goes on to America. Um, and then I was also um, uh, uh, co-director um and um then for one year actually the director for mrs for mrs oregon america but a few years after um i had won mrs oregon um this other pageant um came along and it's uh ms veteran america okay. and i was like i thought i was done with pageants but it was different um it was raising money um, for, um, for an organization that helps um, military women who are having a tough go of it. And so what a better way that women of all colors, all shapes, all sizes, um, I didn't feel it necessary to, um, to straighten my hair around these women. Um, and, uh, you had to know some military history and stuff like that. So it was different. It was, it was, it was really, uh, a cool, cool opportunity. Again, I thought I was done with pageants. And they, um, this was, uh, so that was, that's been about eight years ago that I did Ms. Veteran America. Um, about a year ago, I received an email from this woman and her signature block had Miss whatever she was with the Miss Black International um, uh, uh, Ambassador Program. And I'm like, what is this? <laughs> and so I did my research. And again, it's not your ordinary pageant. Um, mm -hmm. And it's a pageant with a purpose. Um, it is black women from all over the world coming together um, to celebrate and and they do things they do they do good things um, you know in the motto ambassadors of change uh, really really um, struck me um, and so here I am again getting ready to do uh, a, 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 another pageant but it it, it, it really you know, it, it it's again a pageant with a purpose. I love I love that. I love that it's not just just the competition portion of right. it. So that's my life in pageantry. Even in the non-pageant world, because I know both you and Destiny are in pageant world. Like when I think of pageants, I think of skinny women in bathing suits on a stage in heels. <laughs> yeah. So how so this upcoming pageant, like how you said, you know. They have a purpose. Like what does like the pageant weekend look like? Are there winners? Are there people in swimsuits? Like what's going to be happening? <laughs> so there are four divisions. There's the 
team, the miss, the Ms. and the misses. Um, Destiny, does anyone, does, do any of those, do anyone do swimsuit? No, so okay. none of us do swimsuits. <laughs> Thank goodness, because um, yes. my COVID body is not swimsuit ready. <laughs> um, no, none of us do swimsuit. We all do athletic wear. Athletic wear. Um, okay. And, you know, evening gowns. So there's definitely some traditional parts to um, the uh, pageantry aspect of it. Um, and I say this, you know, never competing in a pageant before, but um, I've been around Miss USA competition for um, a while and I've, I've gotten inside looks to that, like the back um, stage stuff. Um, but like Joel was saying, it's really just a pageant with a purpose. Like we very much um, focus on our platform development. We focus on sisterhood, you know, empowering the other sisters, queens around us. Um and honestly making change in the world. Like, you know, as Joel said, you know, we're known as ambassadors of change and we're here to be change agents. So uh, that's a lot of the reasons Joel decided to join this pageant is the same reason I decided to get involved um, because I wanted to do pageantry and kind of do something step out of my comfort zone, but I also wanted to be continuing to do stuff with a purpose. So, um, and Joel, I know that your platform is around HIV and AIDS prevention. Can you tell us like a little bit about your platform and like how you got involved with your platform and why you chose that as your platform? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so my, um, I lost my brother to a, to AIDS about 20, uh, 25 or so years ago. Um, and I learned a lot. Uh, he, 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 my, my, my brother was a, a woman shoe designer, very good, uh, woman, wonderful woman shoe designer living in Italy, uh, Italy, his, um, you find his Amazing. shoes in Bergdorf Goodman and Saks Fifth Avenue, in, wow. uh, you know, Nordstrom, all of these, all of these places. And, um, each year he would come back, uh, he would come to, to New York, um, to, for the shoe shows and I would come and help him and stuff like that. So one particular year, um, at this point I had a, a son who was four years old. I couldn't just pick up and go to New York. And so, um, uh, my, my brother called to tell me, um, he was, he's talking about how tired he was and he just couldn't really move. And he, you know, you could hardly get through the, the shoe show up in New York. Um, and I said, what, when you're done, you need to come down. I was living in Florida at the time. Um, come and, uh, come see me. Um, I'll take care of you. Um, and he got off that plane and I knew that there was something wrong. Um, he, uh, I just, I super handsome. My brother was, um, and his skin, he was probably, but usually about my complexion. And when I saw him, his skin was very darkened, um, model kind of modeled, uh, looking and, um, and he just had a hard time walking. And so, um, I told him, uh, we, you're going to, when was the last time you were a doctor? He owned his own shoe company, but he's a horrible businessman. Um, you know, <laughs> no, he had no insurance or, or anything. Uh, so we went to a clinic, um, to get some, some, run some tests and things like that. Um, and I, I went and dropped him off, picked him up and I asked him, my, my brother was a gay man. Um, I said, did you get an HIV test? And he was like, no, I forgot to ask. Oh, baloney, you forgot to ask. You're in denial. Um, and so, um, when the results came back of the test they did run, they found that he was in complete 
and total renal failure. And so um, they sent him to, um, I was living in Frederick, not Frederick, Maryland, in Satellite Beach, Florida. Um, And they said, you need to go to the emergency room now. (laughs) My brother, love him to death. He says, uh, he's like, we're getting in the car and he says, we can't go to, we can't go to the hospital right now. I'm like, why? He says, you're not going to let me eat normal food. We've got to stop at the honey baked ham store first. <laughs> we had to stop at honey baked ham so that he could get himself a ham sandwich. Oh goodness. Oh, um, I don't blame him. Hospital food sucks. Right? <laughs> so we got to the hospital and um, he spent his 40th birthday in the, um, not ICU, ICU in the, he was, um, uh, he couldn't have anybody uh, else around him. Um, what's the word I'm looking Emily, at? help me out. Medical term, uh, area <laughs> hospital. Isolation uh, or isolation. He was yeah. in isolation. Yeah. yeah, he was in isolation. I was able to see him. Um, but they they were they thought maybe he had pneumonia, but he did not. Um, so he spent he got out of there and um but then he was um they were uh starting to do dialysis and all of this kind of stuff. And um they they transferred him to I learned I, I went to the local this clinic where I learned about his, you know, T cell count and all of this kind of stuff. And that was, again, one of the things that, 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 um, I don't know if it was before or after that got me into massage therapy, going back to that and how, especially at that point in time, nobody wanted to touch anybody that had AIDS or HIV. Right. They thought yeah. they would touch it. And yeah. then more than to, to be touched, to be, to massage and, and just, mm-hmm. and so that was one of the other things that, 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 that led me to want to do that. Um, anyway, bottom line, he, he passed away while he was visiting me there in, um, in Florida. Um, and so that's 20 plus years ago, whenever the army moved me, wherever I might go to, I always made a um, point of finding whatever the local, um, HIV AIDS agency um, was so that I could volunteer my time so that I could help out here in Eugene. It's the HIV Alliance, and I have been I've been with them the longest because I've been here the longest. Uh, I served on their board of directors. I've vol- just volunteered my time. Um, I I host and MC um, their annual uh, big night fundraiser. Um, and, um, it, and it's about education. It's about compassion. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, um, you know, I've always talking about education, ensuring that my son, um, he knows about it all. He understands it all. Um, there was a show, there was a, um, um, uh, during AIDS, um, uh, during the, uh, world AIDS, world AIDS day. Um, yeah. our first and on the campus of the university of Oregon, they had a condom fashion show. <laughs> um, and they used to do it quite a few years. And I was the MC uh, for that for, for a few years. And I had sitting there in the front row of the condom fashion show was my 12 year old son, <laughs> you know, and, and I, I'm just super open with him about it and understanding 
and and you know use a condom and 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 and, and he's listened and uh, grown up uh, really smart in that in that vein. So um, so anyway, yes, that is my that's my platform uh, near and dear to my heart. Um, compassion, education, uh, understanding. That's so that's awesome. I think it's like. It's just interesting. I know, you know, with like the HPV vaccine, it's you're supposed to give it at 11 to 12 and parents look at that as like the sex vaccine. Like, oh, once my kid gets this, they're going to start, you know, being sexually active at 12. And it's like, no, this is just like prevention. And I think it's like parents and just people in general are scared to have these conversations, I think, but they're so important. And, you know, I even have friends and People think, you know, HIV and AIDS just isn't there, but it still is there. I mean, I mean, we just have really good treatment for it now, but it's like you need to be safe and there's a possibility you can get it. So it's like, that's just so awesome to me that you had your 12-year-old son there for condom fashion show day. (laughs) Well, do you want to wrap up here, Emily? Yeah, well, it's been a great conversation tonight. Um, We generally end with a question of the week. And I'd say, you know, as we're wrapping up Women's Month with the last day of March, um, my question this week is, what can we do to continue the celebration and empowerment of women moving forward slash outside the month of March? Um, I think that's just important with, you know, Black History Month is in February, Women's Month is in March. There's, I mean, just days for everything. And I don't know, for me personally, this has been a pretty powerful Women's Month, just doing the podcast, having these amazing women that we've got to talk to and learn about their lives. I'm just very inspired. Um, And I'm hoping to keep the motivation moving forward. (laughs) Um, But I've definitely learned, I'd say, some lessons and just keeping... This has definitely inspired me to go be more involved um, as a woman and just speak up more. I'd say I'm a very loud person. I'm pretty outgoing, but I do. I would say I don't necessarily stand up for myself or others as much as I should. I'm definitely getting better at it. Um, but you know, as I've learned from Destiny, like setting boundaries, having conversations, and I think this has really been a year for growth. Um, and I think I'm just going to keep moving that forward. So I'm excited. Nice. It's awesome. Yeah. You know, some, there are people who get mad at, at Black History Month or Women's History Month. And why, why do we have to have these, these, these months to remind us or whatever? And, and I mean... I, I because they help us to they help us to focus and and on on that one community for that one month um and and we learn stuff right um and we celebrate those things but yes in the end we need to celebrate everyone throughout out the year um, right. but, but that one one month out of the year let's just really really focus on on that on that one community. And so I think, I think the thing that I would say is, is for us to continue or to start in some cases to, as women to lift one another up, support one another and to not put each other down. And this pageant, the Miss Black International Ambassador Program um, has been a wonderful thing uh, for me, 
Um, what, and we have this huge destiny. I'll tell you, it's it's out of hand. Uh, <laughs> huge chat thing. Um, all of the ladies, and some are more more vocal than others, but but they're really lifting one another up. Um, uh, this morning, a young lady was stuck in the elevator in an elevator. Oh yes, poor Kate. <laughs> please pray for me. I'm stuck in this elevator. You know, advice and stuff. So I just I would just say to to um, to, 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 to lift one another up, um, and, um, and just, just, be, just be supportive. Um, and, and I'm going to, I'm going to take my own advice, um, and, and try to, to do, to do better, um, at that. Um, I think for me, um, I'm just gonna continue building my platform. You know, the ultimate woman society is all about, um, education for women. Um, so we can have that, um, that, uh, knowledge to be very empowered in every arena, you know, business, homeownership, you know, just anything that you gets thrown at us. We have the education and knowledge to, uh, get through that and feel powered through it. Um, and also I've been saying it all, you know, month, you know, yes, it's great to focus on women, uh, in this month month. And I think that the education piece that we get during Women's History Month and Black History Month and so on and so forth is amazing. Um, And that needs to leak out into, you know, 365. So uh, I'm just going to continue, you know, to push forward in my platform and, you know, uh, educating other women and uplifting them and supporting them and yeah, doing it every day. And uh, also just continuing to advocate for myself and other women and speaking up because, Women belong everywhere in all places. Um, you know, women belong as our Ruth Bader Ginsburg said, you know, anywhere where decisions are being made and we should be there and speaking up and presence. So Joelle, it was so amazing having you on. We're so happy to have you. Like your story, I feel like I have done nothing in my whole right? life. <laughs> I'm just like, I'm just going to go enlist in the army, maybe have a kid, get married, finish this pageant. Um, But no, it's just been truly an honor getting to know more about you. And your story is just amazing. You've done so much. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me on and and for for listening to me blather on about about everything. Thank you so much. It's an amazing story. Thank you for sharing. Yeah. Yeah. This was so great and such a great way to wrap up our Women's Month Takeover podcast. And um, thank you to all our listeners. The boys will be back in April, but we will hopefully make an appearance again soon. So thank you again. And the women are out. Goodbye. Thanks for listening, everybody. If you would like to learn more about the Committed Collective or any of the initiatives that we're supporting currently, please connect with us at the underscore Committed Collective on Instagram or on Facebook. If you'd like to ask any follow-up questions of today's host or guest about our conversation, feel free to email us at info at thecommittedcollective.org. Be sure to also subscribe to the podcast so you can stay up to date on our topics information and other events if you'd like to join the collective you can follow us on instagram and join us on our slack community remember you can take an active role in your sphere of influence and champion change now